Hey, thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. Oh, good morning. Good morning, Radiance. So good to be with you. Hello to everybody online. Uh, so good to be in the room with you. And um, I just want to echo what David said, and that is that I love you. I, Jossie, my wife, and I and our four boys been friends with David and Renata and their family for over 20 years now. But uh, I've been walking with, and David and I have uh, connected through every part of this journey of the planting and the establishing and the ongoing work of Radiant Church here in Kansas City. I just want you to know I love you. I pray for you regularly, almost every day. And, uh, and so, so grateful for what God is doing here in this city and through you. And uh, certainly we've all been through a lot over the last year, but I want you to know uh, that I'm proud of you and your best days are ahead of you and uh, excited for what God has through Radiant. So uh, I want to just jump in here today. I, uh, like, I, I'm, like David mentioned, we have four boys, Parker, Cohen, Brooks, and Smith. Uh, my oldest, Parker, is with me. He's a senior in high school, so we're in the transition phase of about to launch him and send him out uh, off to college. So significant days for us as we uh, navigate all of that. Parker Cohen, Brooks and Smith, my little law firm. And, uh, and so we're excited about them. Um, I, I remember though, when I went to college and when I went to college, I was, uh, uh, one of our friends got married while he was in college. You know, you, a few friends might do that. And he was one of our a guy on our floor in our dorm. And uh, he and his girlfriend had been dating for a while. And they decided to get married uh, during their senior year. And so uh, all, the, all the guys, if you will, decided we need to get him a gift. And so uh, we brought this big, huge, heavy box to the wedding, put it on the table. I mean, it dwarfed every other gift in, uh, in the, in the, on the table. And, and so we heard later, you know, they didn't open the gifts, of course, there. And so they loaded it up into a truck and all these kinds of things. And they told us later that, yeah, we, we like, that gift is huge. It's heavy. We're excited about that. They decided to leave it for last. So they went through all the gifts and they got to our gift and we had done a great job of wrapping it and they opened it up and it was a toilet. <laughs> you know, college guys, we thought we were having, I mean, he might've thought it was funny. She didn't think it was so funny and it certainly was not what they expected. Beautiful package, beautiful gift, terrible gift. <laughs> Ugly gift in a beautiful package. I think the opposite can be true as well. Ugly package, beautiful gift. And I would like to suggest that in this last year, I would say we probably all can agree it hasn't felt like a beautiful package. But I'd like to suggest that there's some beautiful gifts in the ugly package of this last year. 
and that we might actually find some gifts in some unexpected places. And we might actually find some gifts in the losses we've experienced over the course of this last year. The losses, if we're able to think about them, are piling up, right? I mean, they've piled up. They've been everything from changed or canceled plans. You know, maybe, maybe you were a senior and you missed, there was no graduation last year. Or maybe you had a wedding. And these are all things that I've experienced and seen uh, in our church. You know, somebody had a wedding planned and, and maybe they did a Zoom wedding or they did a wedding with only a few people when they had this big idea and dream in their head of what it was going to look like. And it didn't look like that. Maybe it was somebody getting sick. Maybe it was the loss of life. Maybe it was the loss of a job. Maybe it's the decrease of income. Maybe it's the, 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 the change in plans or the change in daily rhythm or the impact uh, everything's had on you personally. Maybe mental health or, or maybe it's on some friendships as opposed as a result of the division or the, I mean, look bigger, the political unrest or the social difficulties and the, and the divide that we find ourselves in our country or maybe the, the racial tension and all the different things, or maybe it's friends that have, and maybe it's church gatherings and may, uh, so many different things they pile up. They can be both catastrophic and they can be inconvenient. And if I'm honest, I've had some sad days as a result of some of those things. I've had some down days as a result of some of those things. But how we deal with loss as followers of Jesus is so important. And if we engage grief and loss well, there are gifts to be found. So that's what I want us to talk about today. Now, maybe as I talk about grief and loss, you're like, oh, I don't like talking about this. Like, come on, let's talk about happy things. This doesn't sound like a happy sermon. And I'd like to suggest that we how, how we think about and how we deal with loss and grief are informed by a few different things. First of all, it's informed culturally. We live in a culture. I mean, turn on, if you turn on the news, however you get your news, I mean, it's like this happened and this person died and this terrible thing happened and we got this going on. And, and it's like, I mean, it's like, here's a loss and here's a loss and here's a grief and here's a problem and here's something. And it's like, and then next, next, I mean, there's no pause. I mean, it is rapid fire loss, no stopping. And we have a culture that says, just move on. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and let's get moving. We might, you might have family that informs how you handle loss. Maybe it was a spoken or maybe specifically probably unspoken rule in your family that you have to have it all together. That, that weakness or or emotions are a sign of weakness. That vulnerability is not okay. And maybe actually in your family of origin, vulnerability got shamed. Like, what's wrong with you? Come on, you can't handle it? Uh, maybe it's your personality. Maybe you're just like, you're, I'm a task-oriented type person. Like, all right, let's just get some things done. Yep, okay, we'll talk about that later. We got things to get done. Or maybe if you're familiar with the Enneagram, you know, you're an Enneagram 7, and you're like, oh, let's just have fun. Like, oh, that's boring. That's not, oh, no, happy, 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 clappy. Let's go fun. A new adventure. Let's not talk about that. 
And maybe, but maybe you're like, yeah, I can feel it. And I want to talk about it. And I, but I don't know. What's wrong with me? Nothing. You're human. Or maybe it's church. Maybe the church you've grown up in would say to acknowledge negative is to have a lack of faith. Maybe that, that, that what was communicated in some form or another is that faith and feelings were opposite. And so you've kind of lived like, like the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. <laughs> when everything is not awesome. But you're supposed to just put a smile on and say, I got faith, so everything is awesome. When inside you're crumbling. And you're like, but what about the scripture? It says rejoice in the Lord always. And then we have a book called Lamentations. Do I rejoice or do I lament? The answer to that is yes. See, because, because it's not either or. See, the question is not, is not whether we're grieving or not. The question is how are we going to handle our grief and loss? Is it going to lead you to Jesus? Or is it going to lead you to greater bondage? See, because if, if we just say, ah, I'm going to avoid it, we will do something with it. We're all experiencing or have experienced in some form or another some pain. And what we do with that pain matters. A lot of times our world says, avoid it, but actually just needs you to soothe it. And so you soothe the pain through busyness or alcohol or through pornography or food or shopping. I mean, there's a huge list of things that we can do to avoid. But Scripture doesn't say avoid. Scripture actually normalizes loss and grief. It actually encourages it. Look at the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, nobody listened to him. <laughs> and he heard from God. And you know what he did? He would call out to God, God, why? What's wrong? I hate this. I wish I wasn't even born. Job. He's got so, if you ever, I'm wondering if you're having a bad day, just read Job. And then all of a sudden you'll feel like you're having a, a not so bad day. But what does he do? He laments and he grieves. David, the Psalms, 150 Psalms, over 75, over half of them are laments. Grief Psalms. And the Psalms teach us not only that David grieved, but they teach us how to grieve well. So Psalm chapter 13, if I can just highlight a psalm. Verses 1 and 2. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Sounds like a COVID lament, doesn't it? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemies triumph over me? How long? How long? So what do we do? We need to name the loss. We name the loss. 
Whatever it is, I maybe have said some of them and maybe that relates to you or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's the loss of a job, but maybe it's the loss of a dream. There's a guy in our church, had a business that was going well at the beginning of 2020. He said, this is gonna be the banner year. This is going to be a banner year. Like it's, and it was positioned to explode. COVID hit and it wasn't like, oh, it just slowed down a little bit. It was like the faucet turned off. And he said, I'm just trying to like survive and make it this year, let alone explode. Loss of a dream. Travel. Maybe, maybe it's grieving over our own sin or the brokenness of the world. And there's initial losses and then secondary losses. You know, if, if you lose someone and then you come around to Christmas the next year, you're like, I, I thought I already like grieved and lost and let go and mourned. But a secondary loss, oh, I feel it again. Now, this is oftentimes what we do is we say, but I really have so much to be thankful for. I don't need to worry about that. I mean, I have a roof over my head. I have a job or I have food on the table. Or I have friends. And that is so true, but it doesn't make the loss less real. And the reality is, is we can have joy and loss, pain and, and celebration running on parallel tracks carried in the same space. And so when we name the loss, what the, what the psalmist and any other of, of the other people throughout Scripture would say is to be honest. Don't minimize it. Don't rationalize it. Don't deny it. It's real. Eugene Peterson, he translated uh, the message. So we have the message paraphrase Bible. And he says this, not in the, in the message Bible, but he said this. He was a pastor for 30 years. Prayer is not be about being nice before God. It's about being honest before God. In other words, is God just wanting you to say, hi, God, everything's great? Or is God wanting you to say, God, here I am. I hate this. I am in such pain. Why did this happen? God's not afraid of your honesty. And he says, name the loss. And what do we do and what do we see from David in the Psalms? He goes to God. He doesn't go to Facebook. He doesn't call up a friend first. He doesn't talk to his roommate first. He doesn't call his parents first. He doesn't talk to his boss or about his boss first. He goes to God. He says, God says, bring it. Bring it to me. Now, do we need to talk to other people? Yes, the right ones. At the right times. But we've got to bring it to God first. Now, I have four boys, as I mentioned a little bit, a little bit ago. And you know one of the things I hate? Complaining. I hate it. I don't like this food. I don't want to do that. I don't like to take out the chores. And I think, I don't care. <laughs> and so I don't love complaining. And so sometimes you might think, oh, this feels like complaining. But actually, to bring things to God is a statement of closeness, not complaining. My wife and I have been married just uh, over 25 years now. And if my wife only told me positive things, like, oh, everything's good. How are you? How's it going, babe? I'm good. 
it was always good. I'd be thinking, there is a problem here. See, because, because of our closeness, because of the depth of our relationship, she tells me the good and the bad. She tells me the easy and the hard. She tells me the celebrations and the sorrows. Why? Because she's complaining? No, but because we're close and she shares all of her heart with me. What does God want? He wants his, your full heart, so share it all. Bring it all to God. God, here's the good. I'm so thankful for you. Your mercies are new every morning. You are so good. And this is so hard and I'm struggling and I don't know what to do. And I'm feeling this. And I, both of it at the same time. It's all there. And God not only encourages it and normalizes it throughout scripture, but he's actually eager to join us in our grief. See, we worship a God who has gone through the darkest pain and the deepest grief. And it isn't just like, oh, some sort of idea. This is expressed in the life of Jesus. Isaiah 53, prophecy about Jesus, called what? The man of sorrows, familiar with grief. And Jesus walks on the earth, and what does he do when he sees that his good friend Lazarus dies? He weeps. What does he do when he comes across Jerusalem? He weeps. What does he say on the cross? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? You know what he quotes? Lament Psalms. And what does he say in Matthew chapter 5 on the Sermon on the Mount, his beatitude, uh, in the Beatitudes, as he's talking to people about what it looks like to be citizens in the kingdom of God? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He doesn't say like, uh, unlucky are the ones who mourn. Hate it for those who mourn. No, blessed are those who mourn. So you're like, what is mourning? Let me just give you a brief definition just in case you're wondering. It's a deep, passionate expression of grief or sadness because of loss. And it doesn't mean, because Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. It doesn't mean that loss and suffering are good. It doesn't mean that our suffering, and, but it does mean that in our suffering and our loss, we can, we can enter worldly sorrow and despair that leads to death, or we can enter a kind of mourning that leads to life and blessings. There's worldly sorrow and there's godly sorrow. So what I want to do with our remaining time is talk about the three blessings there might be more, but three blessings of mourning. If Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, what's the blessing? Because we think, that doesn't feel like a blessing. That feels like an ugly gift in an ugly package. But God says, ugly package, great gift. What's the gift? Number one, the nearness of God. The nearness of God. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is what? Close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. In 2009, is that right? 2009. My wife and I had, no, 2008. Anyway, a while ago. My wife and I had three boys at that point. My wife got pregnant with our fourth child, found out 
that we were having a girl. Ah, we were so excited. We thought this girl is going to be the most well-protected girl in the neighborhood. Three older brothers and a dad, princess of the house. It's going to be awesome. And at eight months pregnant, my wife goes in for a regular normal check. She calls me. I'm sitting in the office, and I'm in the middle of an appointment. She calls once. I send her a voicemail twice, send her a voicemail a third time. I'm like, okay, this is abnormal. I pick up the phone. She's weeping on the other side of the phone. It says, Aaron, the doctor says there's an issue with our baby. We've got to go to the hospital. If you can't go now, they want to send me in an ambulance. We lived in Colorado Springs at the time. They wanted to send us to Denver. I said, I'm on my way. I ended my appointment, drove home. We jumped in the car. We drove to Denver, and we spent the night at Children's Hospital. And for the next bunches of hours, they ran tests on my wife. And 24 hours later, we left the hospital with a list this long of 100 different possibilities. They'll get back to us with their test results. And 98 of 100 of them were, were fatal. And the other two, if the baby were delivered alive, would have had such significant struggles to stay alive if, they li- if she lived at all. So we drove home in shock, prayed, fasted, got people around us asking for a miracle. And two weeks later, at just under nine months pregnant, my wife said to me, I don't feel her. We went to the hospital and they said to us, your baby no longer has a heartbeat. And within the next 24 hours, my wife delivered a stillborn baby girl. Her name was Bergen Joy. At the end of that week, my wife and I found ourselves in a cemetery, putting a little coffin about this big into the ground. And I had dreamt of not only this little girl well protected by her older brothers, but I had dreamt of giving my little girl away, probably 36 years old, <laughs> to an, in an arranged marriage. And here I stood thinking, God, I was so excited to give her away. I just never thought I'd be giving her away this soon. And my heart was shattered. Now, it was some of the most difficult pain. That's catastrophic. It's some of the most difficult pain I've ever experienced in my life. And I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but do you know there is something about that season that I miss? I miss the nearness and the intimacy, the closeness of God. Can I have a nearness and intimacy with God now? Absolutely. But in some of those moments... It may feel like everything around us stops and we suddenly have a heightened awareness of God's nearness when we mourn and we process our pain with God and others. He meets us in the midst of it and he comforts us with his love. So blessing number one, the nearness of God. Blessing number two, comfort and healing. What does it say? Blessed are those who mourn for they will receive comfort. There's comfort and healing in it all. See, many times when we avoid mourning, we instead repress our our emotions, avoid our emotions, numb ourselves, and ultimately develop a worldly sorrow that leads to pessimism and hopelessness. 
But when we enter into a place set aside for grief with God, it is as if you give air to a wound instead of covering it and letting it fester. So it takes time. It's not, depending on what it is, it's not a one-time prayer and a one-time event. It's ongoing. And we might say, ah, Aaron, I, I'm afraid that if I really go there and like let myself like fully experience grief, I might actually get stuck there. I don't know that I want to go there because I don't want to get stuck there. But I would actually suggest that if we don't do that, we will be stuck. See, the scripture says in Psalm 23, if I, even if I walk through the darkest valley, even if I walk through the darkest valley. Not around, not under. See, so often we're trying to dig around, go around, climb over. But he says, I want you to go through. And I will bring you to the other side. And I, I, anybody ever seen the movie Inside Out? It's the animated movie about the little girl who moves and she's sad because she's left her friends. And so it's like this, this picture of the internal uh, emotional headquarters in this little girl as she's going through this. And what they're trying to do is like kick sadness out. Like sadness, get away. We got to keep this little girl happy. But as they keep kicking sadness out, you know what she has a hard time doing? Becoming happy. See, the reality is, is in order for us to live in the place of celebration, gratitude, and hope that God has for us, it means that we engage sadness in order to experience the fullness of joy. See, if we numb the, 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 the difficult emotions, the depth to which we're willing to go to a difficult emotion will impact the height that we're able to experience the positive emotions. So if you want to experience the fullness of joy, you know what it means? It means you have to go to the depths of grief. Otherwise, it looks more like this. There's a guy, his name's Jerry Sitzer. He was a guy who wrote a book called Grace Disguised. And he writes this book after having lost his family in a car accident. And he says this, loss will transform us or destroy us but it will never leave us the same. It is not therefore true that we become less through loss unless we allow the loss to make us less, grinding our soul down until there is nothing less. Loss can also make us more. See, when I think back on the loss of my daughter, it's a massive grief and God has brought comfort and healing. But do you know that as a result of that, I have learned so much, become a better pastor. Because what is cultivated in me is the third blessing, and that's empathy. Second Corinthians chapter one, the apostle Paul says, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of compassion and the God of what? All comfort, who comforts us in our troubles now, here's a key word. This key word is so important. If you ever, pay, if you ever notice this in the Bible, it's, you should pay attention to it. And it's this, so that. Don't ignore the so that's of the Bible. Sometimes we just stop it before the so that. God's a God of comfort. God, just comfort me. No, no, no. There's a reason for God comforting you. And it's so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. 
God gives us comfort, not just so we can feel comfortable. God gives us comfort so we can extend comfort and love to the world around us. It doesn't stay here. It goes out. The love we receive, we're to be conduits. We receive forgiveness. Why? So we can forgive. We cannot give what we do not possess. So don't walk in grief alone. Not only in the sense of how we experience and give out grief, don't do it by yourself. Talk to God and others. But it then isn't supposed to be held and kept to ourselves. We offer the comfort we receive from God. We're able to identify with those who are in pain. We live in a world that's in a lot of pain. And how does the world teach itself how to handle the pain? Avoid it. Soothe it. Netflix binge, shop some more, go online, yell at somebody who has a different political view than you. Make yourself feel better by shaming them. That's how you make yourself feel better, but that's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is, no, bring all your pain. Bring it to me. I want us to do something maybe a little unorthodox. I want to give you one minute. Maybe if you have a piece of paper, if you're online, type it in, write it down. I'm going to give you one minute. Music's just going to play softly. One minute. And all I want you to do is begin to name the losses. Maybe throughout this talk, the Holy Spirit's been bringing a few things to your mind. Things that you've been like, I don't want to talk about that. So I'm just going to give us a moment of silence. If you would, just break out your phone, type it into your notes. Write it down on a piece of paper. One minute. You and the Holy Spirit start the process. kingdom of God, life comes from death. See, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, life can't come from it, right? Grief and loss go together in the Christian faith. With vision and hope in a singular way. Because they are the story of the cross and the resurrection. There's no greater grief than Calvary. And there's no greater hope than resurrection. It's the reason that the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Thessalonians says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, those who are dead. And so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind. In other words, 
You can grieve, you just don't grieve like the rest of the world. And the reason you grieve differently is because you are not one without hope. He says, he says, you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. As a follower of Jesus, you have hope even in the face of death because Jesus died and rose again. We grieve and you can wail and mourn and lament and write it out and cry and scream and be fully honest with God. We should, and, but we in on the middle of all of the grief, it is shot through with hope. Grief and hope, loss and joy, sorrow and celebration, all in the same space. Why? Because we're positive? No. Because we're, we're, we're just up people? No. Because Jesus died and rose again. And he defeated death. Death won't have the last word. Pain won't have the last word. Sorrow won't have the last word. Tears won't have the last word. Oh, they have a word. They just won't have the last word. Jesus has the last word. Resurrection life has the last word. Hope has the last word. Jesus and his victory over death and sorrow and pain has the last word. And that is what we live and know is coming. We live in a broken world, everybody. We're human. Let's embrace the reality of that and know that we have hope. So what's your next step? That's the question. Before we pray, I just want to ask ourselves, what's our next step? For some of you, your next step is to spend more time, more than a minute. That minute was just like barely scratching the surface and you're like, I could use about an hour to not just name it and acknowledge it in its fullness, but to bring it to God, welcome his healing, welcome his comfort. You've been going everywhere except for God for a comfort and healing. For some of you, your next step is to put your faith and your trust in Jesus. You Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I've been looking in every other place, looking at myself, looking at my friends, looking at Facebook, looking to alcohol or shopping or whatever. And what God is calling you to and inviting you to is to take a next step and cross the line of faith and say, I want to grieve like you just talked about, to acknowledge the reality of the brokenness of this world, the pain that we experience, but I've never experienced hope in the middle of that like you're talking about. The way to experience that is to say, Jesus, I give you my life. My life is yours. Maybe if that's you, even just under your breath in this moment, can I just encourage you? Say, God, I give you my life. It's not the only thing that you should ever say to God, but it is a wonderful first thing. God, I give you my life. And as we give God our life, he gives us his. It's an unbelievably unfair exchange. Maybe your next step is to is to invite some other people. Say, I've given it to God, but now I need to share with some other people and allow the comfort maybe they've received for me to receive it from them. Or maybe your next step is to look around. Say, who's hurting? Who's hurting? And maybe I can go and offer the comfort of Jesus to them.
So, Father, we open our lives to you. And maybe as much as we don't love talking about, embracing, acknowledging the reality of the pain around us or in us, God, we know that you do. We see it modeled in the life of Jesus. We see it modeled for men and women of faith all throughout Scripture. And so, God, we don't want to try and be nice before you. We want to be honest because in our honesty, we're expressing our closeness. So, Holy Spirit of God, may we be like the Thessalonians. Oh, that we would grieve. But all of our grief and pain and the way in which we experience life would be shot through with hope because you died and rose again. This we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen and amen.